You're listening to The Outpost. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Outpost. I am Dr. Ray Mitch, your host. Uh, I am still getting accustomed to using that name. I, I have been saying for a hundred and some odd sessions, or sessions, episodes, you can't tell that I have counseling in my background. Um, <clears throat> I, I, uh, I, for o- over a hundred episodes, I've been saying the psych monologues, and now it is the outpost. So a lot easier, at least one more, one less word. Uh, so thanks for joining me. I'm glad that you have taken some time out of your busy schedule to to sit down and or walk or do whatever you do when you're listening to podcasts um, to uh, listen in. And and uh, this is that again, I, since this is only episode two, I want to uh, kind of make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all clear about uh, how this thing works is that the outpost really is a podcast that's looking at some three main key issues. The issues of faith, the issues of psychology and how it relates to that, and then also what does the spiritual journey look like for all of us, really? And and again, like I said last time, the outpost is someplace where you go that is on the outskirts of society, outskirts of civilization even, but it's still a safe place that you can go to have this conversation, to, to renew and to refurbish and to replenish your supplies, even spiritual supplies. And that certainly is my hope for, for The Outpost, is that even as a podcast, it would be uh, the kinds of topics and the kinds of people, eventually, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, uh, that I get to talk to that will talk about the issues um, relating to living in the culture that we're in and uh, and trying to live life as as uh, authentically as we can and uh, authentic authenticity is defined by to, to what to what degree am I known as I am not as I create myself to be okay and that's that's a whole other issue. I'm doing a presentation coming up in a workshop um, about uh, the the uh, called unanchored. You know who am I, and the nature of the self, and what happens there. And that's when I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the namesake of of uh, this organization, Stained Glass, because I think it's pretty important to understand uh, how we got to where we were, and also how do we. How do we move away from it? How, how do we figure out ways to take the mask off and take the armor off and be seen as we are and, and not have to, to create this image of something that we, at some level, maybe not always, but at some level, we're not. So, so that, that's really what this thing is all about. And, and the outpost is kind of a bigger, uh, it's the voice, I would say, for the organization that I referred to in Stained Glass International. It's about a year and a half old. Um, and what we're about is trying to create this space 
where doubters, wounded, confused, beat up, beat down, bent, and bruised, who feel like their lives are a disappointment to God, can feel accepted enough to be known and to know other people. And really, we've got to create a space to know, be known. Because otherwise, we're not, we're not convinced that it's safe to be known, let alone be, be known even by ourselves. So uh, we want to be a place where people can bump into the biblical Jesus um, as he is, as he's portrayed in Scripture, rather than how they've been told he is or um, how he's been modeled to them. And again, that's kind of the topic that I want to talk about tonight um, as a follow-on from the very first episode I started with. So the mission of SGI is to encourage, equip, and empower the next generation to live authentically in relationship to Jesus, themselves, and others. And that doesn't mean that we're jamming it down anybody's throat or anything like that. I firmly believe that, that we find out and we do early in our lives, we find out about Jesus by the people that walk with him. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that we bumped into that are, are, are at least saying they're walking with him are very poor representatives of his heart for us um, or is even, is even reflective of his heart when he was here on earth. And, and I, granted, I mean, there's a lot about Jesus that, that is disturbing. I mean, he said a lot of disturbing things. I'd be the first to admit that. At the same time, you got to understand that he did say those things, and he did say those things to the people that were following him. And it was a call to reflect internally about their relationship and what they want to do or what they don't want to do. It's not like we're going to twist anybody's arm to stay, but hopefully we can create the kind of space and place for people to be where they feel accepted and known and maybe they can explore what this looks like, okay? So um, we're looking to develop what I call outposts for the heart and communities for the soul. And outposts for the heart is the very namesake of what, uh, what I'm doing here through this podcast. Is It's the voice of the outpost. And it would be as if you were to be coming in uh, to the outpost, and there are a variety of resources available to you when you come in. You're safe from the outside world, but there are resources and things that you can take advantage of to grow, to get ready to go back out there, or whatever that might be. And and that's really what we're really all about. So one of the biggest ministries I think we have right now, I'm hoping that there will be others, but right now is is leading and facilitating silent retreats for young people. And so um, <clears throat> uh, we have one coming up. It is only for C- currently enrolled CCU students. It's coming up in October 12th through the 15th. Uh, registration opens on October 11 at 8 a.m. That's tomorrow morning, or uh, not October, um, September 11th, which is tomorrow at 8 a.m. And the platform allows us, and this is one of the reasons why I switched, it allows us to, to accept registrations until we have 10, and then we begin to develop a waiting list. And, and I, I will say that generally there, there is a fair amount of overlap, overturn, I should say, not overlap, 
But there's a fair amount of overturn as we approach, <clears throat> excuse me, we approach the date for the silent retreat because people have things come up in their lives. And, and so I, I've, I've had the waiting list people actually have the opportunity to come along with us. So that's that. And I, 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 I go into what I want to talk about tonight. Um, and I'm still unsettled, quite honestly, because I mean, last week I, I was asking why you, you know, um, why are there, or why are there toxic Christians and what do I do to respond to them and how do I deal with them? And my flip question of that is why are there so few non-toxic Christians? Okay. And, and the, here's the thing. And, and this is, this is a, a, a quick internal view of the, the, the crazy world inside of my head. And that is in my mind, being labeled non-toxic is is honestly it's just not good enough. It, it it's there. There's got to be something more than that. I mean, uh, if I drink a teaspoon of bleach, it's non-toxic. If I drink a a bottle full of bleach, it's toxic. Okay, so in either case, it's disgusting, and we can we can name a lot of different things for that as well. So. And that's that's quite honestly not good enough. And and there's something I have noticed that in a lot of the language even of the current generation, since that's the, that's the people that I teach, is there's a tendency to define things by what it isn't. Even ourselves is defining ourselves by what we're not. And so one of the things that it, it is a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty big pet peeve of mine, and I think students would generally say, particularly if they're in groups with me, they would say, yeah, this is pretty much one of those things that, that you want to watch watch out to not do. Well, <laughs> there it is again, right? <laughs> to not do. Not what you're supposed to do, but what you're not supposed to do. Minor detail. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> so... And if I, just on that note, if I clear my voice, throat here throughout the podcast, I am still coming out of uh, Darth Vader voice. And that's usually when I have laryngitis. And so I'm still coming out. So bear with me as I do that. Hopefully I won't blow out anybody's speakers or anything. So, but it's a pet peeve of mine. And it's not something for people just not not do. It's it's to maybe ask the question why why is it important? Not that I ask that important of questions, but be that whatever. Okay. So, what is the definition of a pet peeve? And you know, I'm sure there's something that comes to your mind. You know, it, it, the the classic definition is a particular and often continual annoying behavior or thing that people do. Okay. So, example, right? Chewing gum really loudly or vigorously. Uh, hogging the sidewalk. I'd say hogging the lanes in the highway. Uh, people who cut in line. Or people who tap their fingers. Or pen clicking. Click, 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 click. Right? Those, we have those and they put our teeth on edge. We may not say anything, but they put our teeth on edge. And that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about here. 
that there is this rampant tendency in, amongst many people, I won't pick on the current generations, that, to, that define things by what they aren't, right? So you, you, you say to somebody, so how are you doing? And they say, well, not bad. I'm, I'm really bad at that. I do that a lot. Um, and they'll, in trying to describe a person, they'll say, well, they're not that hard to get along with, or they're, they're not that bad, right? Or when they're describing a, 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 situa- a situation they were in or um, a experience that they went through, and they'll say, well, that wasn't fun, right? It's not fun. Versus saying, that was hell on wheels and I really didn't like it. <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, I think you got to ask the question, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And I, this is all background to say, I, saying somebody is non-toxic is, is just like that to me. Because labeling something as what it isn't, Maybe we could figure out a way to expand our vocabulary enough to positively define it rather than defining it by what it isn't. And my, my response oftentimes is, okay, that's what you're not, but please tell me what you are and how you actually feel. Well, I, I, I'm not happy. Okay, but what is, the, what is it then? So to me, and that was a very long expose on, the, on why I land on this the way I do, is to say someone's non-toxic tells me really nothing at all. It just means that they're neutral. I'm not sure anybody's really all that neutral. But in the interest of avoiding that way of looking at people who are non-toxic, I think we have to develop a way of looking for people um, that invite you into community, into connection. And I would say even a, a somewhat of a churchy church word, and that would be redemption. Now, redemption is, you know, we don't, we don't think a thing about it outside of the spiritual context or religious context when we say I redeem a coupon, coupon right? I trade this coupon for some product, and and that's redeeming it. Well, the same thing is true here, is that there are people in our lives who are Christ followers, and I say, I use the word or phrase Christ follower intentionally instead of Christian, because Christian is is another kind of... Um, non-descriptive word anymore these days it's it it can be really stretched into a lot of different meanings so uh you know what if we're looking for people that are not tox not toxic who are not what i described last week the the critic and somebody who's not looking for connection or the person who's trying to correct you the these ways are not by a lot of times the way that we discern these people are not by the words they use. In a lot of cases, people can use all the right words, but that doesn't make them necessarily redemptive or 
connection seekers. I, I, I'm still struggling to try to find an adjective that goes in there reasonably well. But what it requires from us is a level of discernment to detect the posture they take in relationship. And when I say posture, it's, it's more than just the words they use. <clears throat> it, it's how they say things. It can be their their actions <clears throat> match what they say. So when somebody, it's quite honestly, it's very easy for somebody to say, I'm not going anywhere. But then somewhere down the road, they go somewhere, right? They're, they're not there. So consistency and, and what that means, just to add another note in there, what that means is that, that I'm not going to promise something I can't do. And that's really a hallmark of these kinds of people, these connection people, uh, that that they're not they're not going to promise something they can't do, but they will be all in when they do it, and their words match their actions, and there's consistency, and their posture is one of openness and an invitation into that, and their verbal inflection is. Not self-demeaning, but um, self-inclusion, inclusionary. They they invite people in, and and so <clears throat> what I want to propose is kind of a matrix of sorts that I think we can use to discern these connection Christians, if you will, these connection Christ followers. And there are five big areas. They're not, it's not a checklist. It really isn't a checklist, so don't do that to it. It's not fair. But it's kind of a, a way to look at people and to discern, not judge, but discern how they handle these things. And remember, just like I said last time, there is no one who is completely toxic. And no one who's completely connection-oriented, completely. We're just too flawed and too broken, really, when it comes right down to it. So there there are five different areas that I would suggest that help us to discern people that are about connection and about um, uh, entering in, if you will. We might use the word empathy, and there's, there's some truth to that in a lot of ways, I suppose. But a lot of times people confuse empathy with sympathy and that they're not the same thing. They really, really aren't. Um, and, and so there's something to, to distinguish there. So what are the five things? And, and these five things are, are, are shoot through a lot of the things that I teach because I think they are the foundational building blocks of good, healthy, strong, redemptive relationships. And so that's, that's why I talk about them this way. So the, the first one I want to talk about is the question of how do they handle truth? Okay? And when I say truth, I want to in, in, introduce a distinction for you. Okay? And the distinction is not, um, it's not an absolute it's just a suggestion. It's, some, it's kind of a, a way to understand 
when we talk about truth. Because we can talk about truth and say God's word is truth. But then we can also in the same breath say, but this is my truth. And what are, what's the difference between those two things? And people that are, fall into this kind of group of people that are about connection and about um, uh, investing in our growth and all of those sorts of things, they handle truth very distinctly because they make a distinction between what I call big T truth and little t truth. Now, what's the difference? Big T truth is two different things. What, what God's word says about this. Uh, you know, and God, there's a lot about Scripture that you might dismiss just because it's myth or whatever, but there's a lot about Scripture that does instruct us about caring for people and, and walking alongside of people. You know what that's called, by the way, walking alongside of people? In Scripture, it's called the counselor. When Jesus said to his, his, his disciples, um, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a counselor. The word that's used there is paraclete. And it literally means one that's called to come alongside. And so how they handle big T truth is very, very unlike the person that I was describing last week who's about criticism and correction. But instead they use truth according to their hearer's need. So they're, they're very careful about the, the sharpness of that particular weapon when it comes to coming alongside and entering somebody's world. So big T truth would fall in into one big category, and there's a lot of overlap. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to argue the the semantics or anything here. It's just a way to think about it. But, but it it's it's what Scripture says. Uh, there's a lot of doctrine that is very much built on Scripture, and <coughs> excuse me, and is um is inferred from Scripture. And that's every bit is good. That's every bit is good. And so that's what big T truth is. But these these folks that I'm trying to describe are extremely careful with the use of big T truth because they have to that they're not satisfied with just simply slapping big T truth on when somebody's depressed, for example, or anxious. And, and they will pull out from Scripture something that needs to be fully understood before we slap it on when somebody's anxious. So they, they handle this extremely carefully, and they understand that what people need more from them is not their profundity. What people need more from them is their presence because that creates the context and that creates the, the environment in which people can actually hear Big T Truth. So they're not, they're not spouting that off right out of the, the gate. And a lot of times, the very people that I talked about, the toxic Christians, they're way too quick on the trigger when it comes to Big T Truth because to them, it's more important that they say it than to discern how much somebody needs it. And that's... that's 
one of the big distinctions here is that they handle big T truth knowing full well how, how powerful it is. And they don't, they handle it with a lot of care. So that's, that's one kind of truth, if you will. The other, the other uh, kind of truth that I would point to is something I call little t truth. Now, big t truth is universal. It's applicable to everybody. Little t truth is unique only to me. And so little t truth are my dreams, my feelings, my hopes, my disappointments, my joys, the things I get excited about. That's all part of little t truth. And one of the biggest problems we have is confusing those two and even elevating one over the other. Now, again, let me be clear. I'm not saying the big T truth is unimportant. I am not. And I am not saying the little T truth is all important either. But we have to find some way to live with these things in tension because intention is where we engage the journey with another person. And that's what this is all about. And that's what these people are about. It's about falling into step with somebody on a journey and taking the time to hear their story, which is a lot of little T stuff, not jumping in to correct it and listening to the story enough to discern how do I use big T to encourage, to speak to the issue and even bring some freedom to it. Okay, so these people that we're talking about, the the connection Christians, again, I'm just, I'm trying on different terms just to see what works. Um, But they handle truth very, very carefully, and they make it clear about how they're going about connecting with the person. If you look at, for example, there's one book of the Bible I have particular... um, uh, fondness of, and that that is Job. And some of it is because of what I see in Job's friends. They give counselors a bad name, quite honestly. Oftentimes they're referred to as Job's counselors. But his friends were all about big T truth. And Job, Job fought them, hammers and tongs on that. And and you have this very profound background that you know Job is operating from because he lost all of his family, all of his children, still has his wife, although he probably wished she had gone with him. And sorrow and loss of health and humiliation and all of these things he had in the background. And we know that background's there. And he's stamping his feet and saying, I want, I want an audience because I don't deserve what's going on here. And by the time we get to the end of the book, a lot of people misread this, but by the time we get to the end of the book and God shows up, and I understand this is a story, I get it. But by the time God shows up, And he peppers Job with all of these questions that have no answer to them. Job can't answer them because he's not God, of course. And and Job says, I'll shut my mouth. And 
<clears throat> because I, I, how little I knew. But there's a, another point in there that I want to point out to, to you in terms of this big T, little T stuff. Job's counselors were great at the big T. They, they thought they had God nailed, nailed down and explained and could use that against Job and all of his rantings and ravings that go on to it, uh, on, on about it. The interesting thing about that is that there's a, there's a lesson to be learned in there by us with people that are in pain. Because Job's counselors, Job's friends are just like the toxic people I was talking about last week. So, how do they handle truth? The second thing is, is how do they handle freedom? Because, in, excuse me, in a lot of cases, people get really, really uncomfortable with freedom. Now, let me tell you what I mean. And there's something that I say in my classes regularly, and my students Probably, if they've been through this enough, they know where this is going. And I make the assertion that control and trust cannot coexist. We live in a world that values being in control, in control of other people, of being in control of our lives, being in control of our destinies, being in control of all sorts of things. And there are some things that... That's legit. It's, it, we're responsible for, right? We're, we, we're responsible for those things. At the same time, if I'm going to trust somebody, then I probably better not try to control them. And that's what I mean by how do they handle freedom? Because controlling behavior takes, says no is an unacceptable answer. If I ask you a question or I give you an instruction and I say, you need to do this, then saying, no, I don't want to do that is unacceptable. No, it, it's not acceptable. And so they don't handle freedom and they don't handle choice real well. And so people that are the the connection Christians here, they handle freedom well. You know why? Because they trust what God can be doing in somebody's heart, even if they hate God. They they trust Him. They they let's not fool ourselves, right? I mean, I I look in the mirror at a fallen human being every morning. It's not a real happy one, but I I I do that every day. I'm. I would say, dare I say it, you do too. And yet, we have hopes or expectations from people that are beyond anything we would put on ourselves because it's, it, we want something from them. And so we control the world around us in such a way so that they, that, you know, they have limited options available to them and they will choose the one we want them to choose. But that's not trust. I mean, if I, in, I, if I uh, inform and educate somebody about a choice that they have to make and then say, you are free to make it, uh, and, and no matter which way you go, I'll probably, I'm, uh, unless it's murdering somebody, I'm probably going to be your friend. And even if you did murder somebody, I'd still pro- be your friend. 
I'm not going to say probably. I'd still be your friend, but there'd still be consequences to pay. So how they handle truth and how they handle control and trust are key dimensions of connection, connective people. The last one I want to get, do because I'm, I'm going to be running out of my uh, out of my welcome here, but <clears throat> the last one I want to talk about is how they handle their boundaries, and and they have a very clear understanding of what they are responsible for and what they are not, and that's essentially if you want to boil down the the pop culture kind of idea about boundaries. That's what it boils down to, is I know what I'm responsible for and what I'm not. Now, that doesn't mean that I just detach from people that I don't have a responsibility with or whatever the issue is. But it does mean that I, that I understand that somebody else's emotions, for example, are their emotions. They're not mine. And if I enter into such a degree... I end up stealing their emotions from them because suddenly my emotions become the issue and not theirs. And that's a boundary issue. And so boundaries are vitally important. They are a central of central importance in healthy relationships. And we, we can fall into a variety of patterns in how we handle boundaries, for example. And, and I, I credit, I give all the credit to John Townsend and Henry Cloud. Um, I, I, they wrote the book, Boundaries. I, that's a lot of what I draw from. I, I was working at the time when they were in California and I was in Illinois. And, and me and two other friends of mine wrote a devotional to support that book. So we, we learned a lot about about boundaries and what that meant for relationships. By the way, if you're interested, that's actually a digital devotional on our website that you can subscribe to and take advantage of. And it's it's five bucks a month to, to subscribe to it, and you get three devotional. You get a devotional week to talk about just healthy boundaries. So. How do they handle boundaries? They can be controlling, a little bit like what I just mentioned before, either manipulative control where they, they kind of influence or persuade or push you toward something you don't want to do, or just the dominating aggressive controllers. Or you can have somebody actually who manages boundaries by complying with everybody. They say yes to everybody. They, say, they never say no. And that's, a, that's an approach to handling boundaries. Is one way that I can assure that people won't leave me is by saying yes to everything they ask. And, but then I have, I have no responsibility or I'm not taking care of my own heart in that because I, I don't have inexhaustible resources that I can, I can offer people. Third one is, is, is they tend to, to see people uh, as or see life as just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get going and so they don't respond to to people's needs and then the avoidant is on the only the more avoidant kind of person is the one that that's not going to respond not going to say they're not going to ask for help they're going to be very much to themselves and so their boundaries are almost too impenetrable is what the avoidant person is so Boundaries are a key element of 
the connection Christian that I'm describing or Christ follower, they understand what they're responsible for and what they're not. They do understand that sometimes people are so weighed down by the boulders in life that they need somebody to carry it with them. Great. And they will. On the other hand, they also understand that we have daily responsibilities and daily things that are only ours. And then their job is to empower us to do that do that well and to do it effectively. So that's that's the the boundary piece. And I uh, <laughs> I'm looking down here partly because I have a very restless five month old golden underneath my feet, and I hear him moving around. And so I I want to make sure that he doesn't he doesn't uh, make a run for the door here before I get done with the podcast. So yeah, he's here. He's the the mascot I introduced a, a while back, um, and he's he's a hefty five months and fifty pounds. And uh, so he's he, but we get to this part of the the evening, and and he uh, folds up his tent and kind of uh, goes to sleep, and we finally get a reprieve from all of his energy and his teeth, I might add. So, um, so pardon me for the the uh, uh, digression. Let me put it that way. So, those are the first three that I wanted to focus on: is how they handle truth how they handle freedom, and how do they understand boundaries, um, and what do they do with those. And I, I have two more, but I, I think I'm going to run over uh, in terms of time, and I, I want to be respectful of how much time you have to listen, listen. And so next time, I will continue this, and I will finish it to talk about uh, the, the connection Christians. I'll just go with that for now because I'm getting comfortable using it. So I've got a couple other dimensions, and I want to kind of fit these together as the building blocks for understanding the, the, the kind of Christ follower that we think we might have and we don't, and that would be the toxic people that we were talking about last time. But this is these people, they're out there, but they may not be quite so noticeable simply because of how they handle these issues. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that next time. And with that, I'm going to bring um, tonight for, to a close. Uh, please let me know if if I'm touching on any issues that you have more questions about or need more input on. You can DM me your questions on uh, SG International underscore International at, at in Instagram. Uh, you can do that there, or you can you can subscribe uh, to the podcast. Uh, that that would be preferable. That also helps us to know who's with us and who isn't. Uh, and like I mentioned, the digital devotionals are also available on the, on the sgi-net.org podcast or podcast website. Um, and they, they are available once you sign up. Uh, there is a, a different deals, if you will, here um, or uh, ability to get it. Uh, and you can get <clears throat> 50 bucks for, a, for um, a six months or you know, you can get it for a hundred bucks for, for the whole year. And so that would give you 52 different devotionals about healthy, healthy relationships and boundaries and things like that. And I, I think you'll enjoy them. They are set up and they're very short. It will take you less than 
15 minutes to read it and consider it. I'd encourage you to take advantage and then and then maybe write down a few few uh, things that stood out and then think about it the rest of the day and you can do that. So the other thing is is you can follow us on all the social media outlets, Instagram I already mentioned. Um, you can just simply look up the podcast. Wow, the Outpost with Dr. Ray Mitch, or uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Follow it on my on my Facebook page, Ray Mitch, or LinkedIn. Uh, these are all going to be coming online in shortly in time. Um, that will all reflect the SG SGI uh, logo, and that way you'll know that you're landed in the right place. LinkedIn is Dr. Mitch. Dr. Mitch. M I T S C H. By the way. So we are available. I'm pretty darn sure we had some hiccups last time, but I, I we are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Amazon Music, on iHeartRadio, um, and probably the big dogs of that bunch is the iTunes and Spotify. So those are the two probably most important ones. And then last but not least, just a reminder um, that if you uh, are supporting us in any way, I am profoundly grateful. Uh, But if you're interested in partnering with us to continue to grow the scholarship fund that allows uh, students to go who don't have the money to go on these retreats, uh, all of your gifts and everything are tax deductible since SGI is a tax-exempt organization. If you'd prefer to send it by physical check, you certainly can do that as well. Just make the check out to SGI. And then the address is same SGI, P.O. Box 322, East Lake, Colorado, 80614. So that's it for tonight. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate the time you've set aside to to listen in and consider some of the things that, that I'm talking about tonight. Like I said, if you have comments, please feel free to, to put them up on the Instagram page. That's probably the one that my, my um, uh, crack team of social media people will keep an eye on. Uh, and then you can also, by all means, please visit the website at sgi-net.org. Dash net, not underscore, dash net.org. Um, and there's a variety of resources there that you can see for free. We are developing kind of a membership plan that allows us to develop some kind of um, uh, stream of income that will support SGI into the future and all the other activities we're trying to do. And uh, if you so choose or you know somebody that wants to turn them on to helping the next generation um, in relationships and um, uh, handling life more effectively, whatever the language is you can use then send them to the website and encourage them to donate. We would be ever so grateful. Um, And so that's it for tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, love you. Later. Bye.